if the police aren't down here, they, it's like the, uh, the rats coming out of the cracks. A Vancouver business owner's plea after another patio theft adding to the pressure of the pandemic. Why some residents aren't surprised. Plus, she wanted to be social. She was excited to go back to work. Keeping the hope alive. How concerned community members are maintaining the momentum of a search for a missing Langley mother. And I think having the mask mandate is a must. It's very necessary. It's move-in day unlike any other as students return to residences at UBC amid new COVID-19 protocols. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Many brick-and-mortar business owners in B.C. have become resigned to the fact that they're targets of thieves and vandals, particularly during the pandemic. But the recent outright theft caught on camera in Gastown has been just the latest insult to injury for a struggling cafe owner in Vancouver. Kamal Kermali has our top story. This takes restaurant takeout to a whole new level. A brazen robbery of an entire Gastown patio. If the police aren't down here, they, it's like the, uh, the rats coming out of the cracks. Phoebe Beckett lives just down the street. She's not surprised to see this happening in her neighborhood. I feel for anybody trying to run a business down here. It starts off with one of them surveying the patio around 4 a.m. early Monday morning. He leaves and comes back a few minutes later with an accomplice. The two waste no time dismantling the wooden barriers, going about it with brute force and strength, fast and furious with a lack of finesse, taking with it the planter and base. The owner of the Gastown Cafe wouldn't go on camera, too afraid of more potential attacks on his business, but told Global News this isn't the first nor the second, but the third time his patio has been ripped apart and stolen in about two months. He's out thousands of dollars and has given up on having a patio in front of his coffee shop. Well, it's so surprising because he seems to not be scared of anything. Emmanuel Joinville owns a restaurant across the street, his own patio furniture brought inside every night. We take everything inside every night. Is that because you're concerned about them being stolen? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. no, they would, they would be stolen, so. An ongoing issue in the downtown core during the pandemic. According to Vancouver Police, 2020 saw a rise in property offenses targeting businesses. And shop owners say that has not curtailed in recent months. Many of them closing up for good, calling the environment too hostile. The city without an answer on how to stop it. Prioritizing policing resources to focus on those kind of things might be a better use of resources. But again, it's not really my call to make because police are in the business of triaging the, the call list that they have. As for this cafe's owner, he says police have told him they're still investigating, but by now his patio probably stripped down and the parts sold. A crushing blow for a business already struggling to stay afloat amid the pandemic. Kamal Karamali, Global News. Police in Greater Victoria are searching for the suspect in a rash of ATM vandalism. Just before midnight on September 1st, Oak Bay police say the suspect walked into two different banks and smashed the ATMs with a hammer. The destruction was extensive and some of the ATMs were still out of service yesterday. Police say it appears the suspect simply wanted to damage the machines and went from bank to bank in the Greater Victoria area doing the same thing, smash it and leave. 
Today marks one week since a Langley mother and school teacher went missing. Searchers are still looking for any sign of Naomi Onatera after the RCMP's serious crime section took over the investigation. As Julia Foy reports, Onatera's family is being helped by those caught up in another high-profile case. People are still searching along the edges of Nickelmackle River in Langley, hoping to find a sign of 40-year-old Naomi Onatera, who hasn't been seen or heard from for seven days. She was an absolute light in this world, and she was excited uh, for her upcoming future. This photo was taken August 28th, hours before Naomi is believed to have left her family home, her husband, and 18-month-old daughter. She was supposed to be back teaching at Catesy Elementary School on Tuesday. She had meetings set up with friends. She wanted to be social. She was excited to go back to work. Everything leads towards such a happy and healthy person. Langley RCMP Serious Crimes and Central Fraser Valley Search and Rescue have been looking for Naomi from the ground and from the air. So have dozens of volunteers, including the family of Trina Hunt. There can't be another missing woman in in the Lower Mainland, how is this possible? Just reignites all the trauma we went through with Trina. Hunt was reported missing on January 14th. Her body was discovered near Hope three months later. Police have searched her home and the home of Hunt's in-laws. No charges have been laid in her homicide. Ibbett says they're helping get Naomi's information out on social media and coordinating the volunteer search because they know what Naomi's family is going through. Hanging on to so much hope. At, at a week out, um, but really trying to process it all and understand there's so much that you have to do and you have to, you have to act faster and harder than you've ever acted in your life while also facing the most unimaginable trauma. Friends and family of Naomi Onatera are planning to hold a candlelight vigil Sunday night in Sendal Park, just down the road from her home. It's sending love and light. It's a chance for people just to go to light a candle and just to say, we're thinking of you. We love you. We're thinking of you. And we want you to come home. Julia Foy, Global News. A warning tonight for women in the central Okanagan after a sexual assault by a stranger in West Kelowna. Police say on August 29th, a woman was walking down Bartley Road towards Highway 97 between 6.30 and 7 in the morning. She says she was approached by an unknown man who pulled her into some bushes and sexually assaulted her. The man ran away. The suspect was said to be wearing a blue shirt, a hat and a face mask. Investigators are looking for witnesses as well as surveillance or dash cam video that may have captured the incident. And turning now to the COVID-19 pandemic and the impending start to another school year. Today, it was move-in day for thousands of students at UBC, but this year, the normal stresses and milestones of campus life is compounded by the provincial mandates meant to halt the spread of the virus and its variants. Amadagahi has more. Early on a Saturday morning, the synchronic sound of rolling plastic on cement can only mean one thing at the University of British Columbia. Big day today for sure, yeah. We have about 7,000 students that will be arriving on campus with their families. My whole summer I've just been counting the days. I'm confident that UBC has put in the correct measures. In the absence of a blanket COVID vaccine requirement for all students coming to campus, UBC and other post-secondary institutions in the province have introduced their own measures. It will be mandatory for all those on campus to self-disclose their COVID-19 vaccine status to the institutions. 
and those who are not vaccinated will need to undergo rapid testing. It's a very complex process. There are hundreds and hundreds of people across campus who've been working diligently now for more than a year to try and make this as safe as possible. That on top of a strict mask mandate, including inside buildings, classes, and common areas like labs and hallways. I think having the mask mandate is a must. This year, move-in day comes a weekend after an incident the university is trying to make an example of for students to avoid. Last Sunday, this frat party violated provincial health orders on campus and was broken up by RCMP, who issued $5,000 in fines, with UBC fining those involved an additional $3,000. Meanwhile, the mass return to university in BC is not without concerns. I know for a fact I've been having conversations with students who are facing tough decisions on how they're going to receive their education this fall. People who have um, elderly, uh, who live with with elderly uh, parents or grandparents, uh, immunocompromised family members, they're immunocompromised themselves. Gabe Leosis, the SFU student president, is asking for hybrid modes of instruction, guaranteeing lectures be recorded or live streamed for students who feel uncomfortable with the possibility of sharing the classroom with unvaccinated classmates. Amada Gahi, Global News. The UBC president saying today that students heading to UBC Okanagan are reporting high rates of COVID-19 vaccination. Santa Ono tweeting today, at UBCO, 95% of student respondents to a survey are fully vaccinated with WHO-approved vaccines. Students at UBCO returning to school in an area under tough COVID-19 restrictions for the past month. While limits on gatherings, alcohol service and the full closure of nightclubs exist, the measures are meant to contain a massive spike in COVID-19 cases, particularly among people aged 20 to 29. When school resumes next week, Interior Health will be offering in-school COVID-19 vaccine clinics for students, staff and their families at public schools. The idea is to make vaccines more accessible, but it might be a controversial one because kids don't need parental consent to get the shot. Yasmin Gandam has more. Well, I think vaccines are a game changer. The Central Okanagan School Board is happy about the announcement of in-school clinics, saying the shot is the best way to keep staff and students protected. In BC, it's legislated as long as a care provider believes a child understands a procedure, the child can make medical decisions without parental consent. That's something not every parent agrees with. No, it makes me mad because uh, we are the caregivers for our kids. We pay for them, we provide for them, and we are the only ones that can talk about vaccines with our kids. I I can't see a 12-year-old really knowing enough about it to be able to make their own decision. I think it's everybody should get them, make everything a little bit better, I think, out there. eh? Um, that's kind of a, a tricky question. As, as a parent, I would want to know what my kids are doing and what decisions they're making. The school board says offering a vaccine in school is not a new concept. So uh, vaccine clinics have been offered at our schools for decades. And certainly uh, during the pandemic, we've had uh, three pop-up clinics at three of our schools already. And so we don't think there'll be anything any different than those uh, vaccine clinics where they were available to families in a more convenient way so they could walk if they needed to, if they wished to have a vaccine. 
The Central Okanagan School District tells us that the vaccine clinics will not be during school hours, but that students can actually bring their families right through these doors to get vaccinated as more of an after-school program. All age-eligible students, staff, and their families can walk up to get their first or second dose of the vaccine. The clinics will be scheduled at various schools throughout September. Yasmin Gandam, Global News. A COVID-19 outbreak at a Victoria long-term care home has grown from three cases to 35 in just over a week. The outbreak at the Salvation Army's Sunset Lodge was declared last Friday when Island Health said three staff members were infected and self-isolating at home. At the time, the risk was deemed low. One resident has since died and a total of 15 staff and 20 residents have tested positive. Health officials say the majority of residents continue to experience mild to no symptoms. Admissions, transfers and social visits are on hold. A homeless man is believed to be the victim of a fatal collision in Surrey early this morning. The crash happened just before 6 a.m. at 96th Avenue and 134A Street. Surrey RCMP received a report of a pedestrian who was hit while on the road. Emergency services responded, but the unidentified man died at the scene. Surrey RCMP are asking anyone with information or dash cam footage to contact them. A very large motorcycle procession taking place in Maple Ridge today in memory of a former high-ranking Hells Angel. 64-year-old Michael Spike Haddon died on August 1st. He was the president of Haney Hells Angels, and an obituary described Haddon as a lifelong Maple Ridge resident. The tribute ride began at motorcycle shop Haney Hogs, which Haddon owned, ending in Langley, where his funeral was held. Now to the latest on the talks regarding the Wet'suwet'en rights and title, and the provincial government admits negotiations have been slower than the parties had hoped. Indigenous Relations and Reconciliation Minister Murray Rankin says he met with hereditary and elected Wet'suwet'en leadership earlier this week. And the parties are committed to implementing the title and rights described in a memorandum of understanding signed last year. It was negotiated between the government and the hereditary chiefs who opposed Coastal GasLink's pipeline going across First Nations traditional territories. Minister Rankin says the talks have been hampered by challenges of the pandemic and the complexity of the issues. After the break, a new wildfire near Penticton grows overnight. Everything fire-wise is driven by the wind, so that could change at any time. How many are on evacuation alert and what fire officials are saying about their fight against the out-of-control flames. Plus... We noticed the door had been cut open um, and some of our equipment had been taken. Stealing from search and rescue, the agency reporting items including an oxygen tank and trauma pack taken and what it means for their rescue efforts. Darian Matasafung, Global News, near Penticton. As of tomorrow, all military in B.C.'s wildfire fight will come to an end in terms of the aid. Over the course of the summer, about 300 personnel from the Canadian Armed Forces Land Task Force and 55 personnel from the Air Task Force were assigned to help with the firefighting effort across the province. More than 625 people cycled through the ongoing effort. Given the recent improvement to most of the firefight, there are now enough resources in place to let the military crews go. Both the B.C. Wildfire Service and Forest Ministry have expressed their gratitude for the help. 
It is a blow to the Central Okanagan Search and Rescue Organization. Someone broke into their storage trailer and stole life-saving equipment. Volunteers say it's disheartening and are hoping local government might work to keep it from happening ever again. Kimberly Davidson reports. The trailer was parked over here. It was wedged in really, really tight. Still, someone managed to find a way to access the Central Okanagan storage trailer Thursday night, cut the locks and make off with some pretty expensive and specialized equipment. Volunteers are putting together new trauma packs and replacing the oxygen and lights that were taken, gearing up once again for Westside calls. We're insured and we're covered, but um, it's a difficult time to get any of that outdoor gear nowadays and um, it puts the whole process behind. The search and rescue team was loading up the gear to bring it to West Kelowna because a lot of their calls are on the west side of the lake. They were just a day away from loading a couple of ATVs into the trailer when the theft happened. We're very fortunate the ATVs didn't go missing. COSAR has been serving the central Okanagan for the last 67 years, offering free searches and rescues no matter how difficult the terrain, and all free of charge. During that time, they've outgrown their haul, and even after building add-ons, sometimes their equipment remains not fully secured. So we had to store this trailer outside, right, and we don't have a fenced compound, so... For a couple of nights until we got everything together, it had to stay out. And of course, boom, somebody noticed it while it was sitting there and they went through it. A crime of opportunity, but one that was definitely staked out beforehand. Security footage shows a late model Toyota Tacoma with silver running boards driving behind the hall. We're hoping eventually to either have a larger hall or a more secure compound because, um, yeah, it's essential that we have all our gear together in one place. COSAR will be making their case during a presentation to the Regional District of Central Okanagan on September 9th. Kimberly Davidson, Global News. Coming up, the latest on the pandemic election. As a Liberal candidate drops out, the Conservative leader is grilled on gun control and the NDP talks federal dental care. And later, cleaning up Chinatown ahead of a community celebration, the new two-day festival and how organizers are getting ready to reconnect people with the neighborhood. On the campaign trail, the conservative stance on gun control is coming under fire. A liberal candidate in Ontario says he's now dropping out of the race and the new Democrats focused on dental care coverage. Miranda Anthistle has the details. As the deadline looms for federal candidates to register with Elections Canada, a Liberal candidate in Ontario facing allegations of sexual harassment says he is ending his campaign. On Twitter, Raj Saini says he'll be focusing all his attention and efforts to challenge these defamatory false accusations. Liberal leader Justin Trudeau has repeatedly defended why the party approved Saini as a candidate. Trudeau has said the allegations against Saini were rigorously investigated and ruled out an independent inquiry into the matter. Trudeau does not have public events scheduled, but the other federal leaders are campaigning on opposite sides of the country. On the West Coast, Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole was grilled on whether he misled Canadians after promising to uphold the ban on assault weapons, but not the ban on assault-style firearms. There's some people, sports shooters, hunters, target shooters, who have been caught up in an approach that Mr. Trudeau has brought that doesn't actually keep Canadians safe. We're going to have a public review of the classification system to show Canadians that we can focus on keeping Canadians safe 
without dividing. But the federal defense minister and liberal candidate for Vancouver South accuses the Tories of lying about their stance on gun control. The Conservative Party is committed to undoing the very ban. This ban means that these guns cannot be legally used, sold or imported in Canada. They look to undo the very plan that victims and the communities of this gun violence have been asking for. Meanwhile, on the East Coast, NDP leader Jagmeet Singh is delivering a promise on dental care, saying proper coverage shouldn't be a luxury. We would immediately put in place a federal dental care program that would provide help to all families that earn less than 90000 and cover all dental care requirements for families who earn under 60000 Singh says this would be paid for through introducing a new 1% tax on Canadians with a net wealth of $10 million or more. Miranda Anthesol, Global News. It is a bittersweet time for the Edmonton Oil Kings hockey team as they opened up their training camp, but without a BC player. The team continues to mourn the passing of Caleb Reimer, who lost his life in a collision two weeks ago in Surrey. The 16-year-old was drafted by the Oil Kings in 2019 and played 19 games last season with Edmonton. The team watched Caleb's funeral virtually on Thursday. The loss has been palpable. Extremely difficult times we went through. I mean, you, you know, to lose a kid, it, I mean, a young man like that, it's, it's tough to take. And, you know, he was an up-and-coming player for our organization. He was a very high draft pick. He had a lot of uh, upside in his game. When the group got in here, you know, with Caleb not being here, it was, definitely, it was definitely tough. And we watched the funeral as a group yesterday, and there was a lot, a lot of emotions going through. But being able to go through it with your teammates definitely helps it a little bit. The Oil Kings are working out details on a way to honour Caleb. In Health Matters Now, the United Kingdom's vaccine advisors have opted against COVID-19 vaccinations for older children. The advisory group declined to recommend the immunization of healthy kids between 12 and 15 against COVID-19. They say the direct health benefits were found to be marginally greater than the potential known harms. But the British government says it may join others around the world, including Canada, in offering the vaccines after assessing the wider societal issues. Nearly 80 percent of the UK's adult population has been fully inoculated, but the country has seen infections edge higher over the past month following the lifting of lockdown restrictions. And coming up next, unusable donations. We get a lot of things that either people have cleared out of their cupboards or are damaged. The food bank losing money and wasting volunteer hours and their warning about unwanted items and how to effectively help the cause. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. It's not safe or nutritious for people to eat. Too old, damaged, or not nutritious enough, the Vancouver Food Bank's pleas for anyone wanting to help and the best ways to contribute in a moment. But first, officials are surveying the damage from Hurricane Ida, which killed at least 30 people in New York and New Jersey. New video showing Ida's impact. In New Jersey, a basement wall lost its battle holding water back. The family was cleaning up the basement when the wall gave way. One woman was swept off her feet and fortunately was not injured. And authorities report at least a third of Ida's victims in the state were killed in their cars. Vehicles trapped by rapidly rising floodwaters and warnings were pushed to cell phones when Ida hit on Wednesday. But the state did not impose any travel bans or curfews. 
focusing in now on our local forecast as we bring in meteorologist Yvonne Shell. And Yvonne, the weather here in our local area already affecting a popular summer event. Yeah, a little bit of a damper this evening. Uh, those planning on still maybe catching a few more hours at the PE. A heads up, the PE actually has been cancelled some of the shows this evening, and it is going to be closing a little bit earlier at 9 o'clock. You can still head out, catch a couple hours, but due to the rain, they are going to cancel most of their shows this evening, and they'll be closing early at 9 o'clock but they'll be back open once again for 11 a.m. tomorrow. We've got still two more days to enjoy the fair. Here's what we're seeing. We've got a few heavier pockets of rainfall really working its way along the south coast. Temperatures are sitting at 15. It's cool out there. And we've got a northeasterly wind at 15 kilometers per hour. Satellite and radar showing us, especially on the radar, that's the green areas, and it's heavy at times, pushing its way also in towards the eastern areas and the Fraser Valley. And the southern tip of Vancouver Island, we've also seen some heavier pockets, especially those yellow areas. So we'll continue to see rainfall this evening and then easing off with lighter precipitation through the morning hours. Bit of instability is spotted, some lightning strikes, and that's across the central interior. Rainfall warning, this is where we're seeing a significant amount of rain. The north coast inland, this includes Kitimat. We're still seeing the potential of up to 50 millimeters by tomorrow morning and then easing off to a chance of showers. It's really along the northern half that we'll still see that significant amount of rain and lots of instability through the day tomorrow. Smoky Skies Bulletin, this is still in effect for all areas across the Okanagan Valley, the northern, central, and southern area impacted by the smoke over the next 24 and 48 hours. So those with respiratory issues, please be very careful and try and limit the amount of time spent outdoors. As we get in through the morning hours, there's still that heavy pocket of rain along the northern half. The weak frontal system that'll push in across the southern half will still give us that chance of showers. It'll continue to be a bit unsettled for afternoon and we'll hang on to some cloud cover and still seeing a bit of cloud cover and a few isolated showers possible to round off our long weekend. The northern half, the concern tomorrow will be that risk of thunderstorms. We'll see a few showers for the central interior getting clipped in the Columbia, but then most areas for the Thompson Okanagan. Cloud cover in the morning, clearing towards the afternoon and warming up. Kamloops even seeing highs closer to 27 degrees. We are going to see more cloud cover, a few isolated showers, especially across Metro Vancouver with the Humidex tomorrow feeling like 25 degrees. A few showers possible, not much in terms of precipitation to round off our long weekend. Back to school and work on Tuesday. Back into some sunshine, of course, the timing of it dry with temperatures up to 22. Nithu? Perfect timing. All right. Thanks, Yvonne. We are getting a first-hand look tonight at the rotten donations that are costing the Greater Vancouver Food Bank time and money. We get um, a candy bar that someone's taken a bite out of, wrapped it up in saran wrap, and put it in a bin. Along with craft dinner from 2015, half-full drinks and olive oil containers ripped open packages and dented cans. Employees and volunteers do have to sort through every item that comes in to weed out the rotten, expired or damaged donations. The food bank says cash donations allow staff to buy more for less with almost every food group. If you still want to donate, pasta and canned salmon are the most nutritious foods you can give. That's our lowest quality food that we receive is the, the pickups from the grocery store bins. And we get a lot of things that either people have cleared out of their cupboards or are damaged. Uh, and it's not safe or nutritious for people to eat. We try to tell people, you know, if you wouldn't buy this for your family, then we don't want to give it to the families we support. The most valuable way that you can help a food bank is to give them money because then they can purchase exactly what they need. The food bank says every time someone contacts them about doing a food drive, they provide education and try to convince them to hold a virtual fundraiser instead. 
a lot of misconceptions there, it seems like. Cash is best. Your 10-year-old no. uh, can of pork and beans. <laughs> no, thank you. Yeah. Uh, the roof certainly not open at BC Place tonight. Uh, quite a bit of rain coming down, but no rain on the parade of Whitecaps fans. Yeah, you know, the Whitecaps <laughs> have been saying all year, get us back to BC Place and we promise we will win. And they've kept up that promise. Third straight win, three games, three wins, another comeback. A stirring victory over Austin FC just wrapped up, so we'll have highlights of that and hear from Vanni Sartini, who is becoming must-see TV, the new Whitecaps coach, the Italian guy. He's always got <laughs> something great to say, so that's coming up. All right, thanks so much, Barry. Also coming up, struggling to keep up with the travel uptick. Owed a whole bunch of money, like still haven't gotten a refund for the flight that was canceled. The airline hiring troubles that are threatening the rebound of the travel industry and how passengers are reacting. Well, air travel hasn't yet returned to pre-COVID-19 levels, not even close. Even so, airlines have been scrambling to keep up with the volume of travelers. And as Anne Gaviola reports, passengers are paying the price with their time and their money. It's called revenge travel. After months of COVID restrictions, Canadians are flying to see friends and family or to take long overdue vacation time, but staffing at major carriers has not kept pace. The airline themselves created this mess that they're in. Angry travelers are sharing stories of delayed and canceled flights and what they say is insufficient customer service. It was just like the travel day from hell. It was just a complete disaster. They basically ruined our vacation. and they've been no, no help up to this point. And to top it off, they managed on both flights to lose a suitcase. Aviation experts believe staffing shortages are calculated. Airlines just didn't hire enough staff during the summer, anticipating a fall slowdown as people return to work and school. Business travel volume isn't expected to be enough to make up the difference. So it's a cycle that they're in now. They've got this peak lasting for another couple of weeks. Then it's going to disappear. And, you know, they're going to look at parking airplanes, reducing the flights. So instead of potentially hiring and then laying off, they're plodding along, often at the expense of the customer. Owed a whole bunch of money, like still haven't gotten a refund for the flight that was cancelled. In a statement to Global News, WestJet says our flight schedules are built many months in advance based on anticipated demand. As travel restrictions lift and vaccination rates rise, we're working diligently to predict the balance in demand. Air Canada tells Global that it currently has more than half the number of active employees it had pre-COVID, though it planned to operate at about 35% of its capacity during the summer of 2019. It says the impact of COVID-19 on the entire air transport industry was extreme and unprecedented. Restarting such a complex industry that was dormant for so long is a challenge for all industry participants. Although airlines try to portray it as something having to do with COVID, in reality, it is a simple business decision how many employees the airline is hiring, how much they are willing to pay for those employees. That's a business decision. That's something entirely within the airline's control. I'm telling everyone I know, don't fire enough. It's not worth the hassle. For now, prospective air travelers should expect complications and frustration and be prepared to pack a lot of patience. Anne Gaviola, Global News. Coming up, lighting up Chinatown during COVID and the rise of anti-Asian racism. So the neighborhood is sort of, I think, needed a little bit of loving care. The new two-day festival featuring food, lights, and lanterns, and how organizers are preparing to welcome people back to the neighborhood.
Support the Vancouver Sun and Global BC in raising funds for literacy. During Literacy Week, help us provide the tools to help children and families improve the reading skills in our community. Make a difference and donate today at RaiseAReader.com. Join the Lower Lonsdale Business Improvement Area for the Shipyards Festival in North Vancouver on September 25th. This free event features musical performances by Bedouin Soundclash, the Zolas, and many more. For RBC, I'm Michael New. If you want to know, it's on the hub. If you want to show, it's on the hub. If you want to go, it's on the Global BC Community Hub. Navigate your now. All right, Barry's back with a look at sports. And Barry, it'll be a rainy walk out of BC Place for fans exiting the stadium, but I'm sure they're still in high spirits if they're Whitecaps fans. Yeah, and well, you know, after a few beers, you'll walk anywhere. <laughs> true. No, it's, uh, you know, they'll, they'll put up with that. A victory, uh, you can walk in anything after that. Thanks, Nithu. The Whitecaps were uh, hoping to string together some wins once they got back to BC Place in front of their fans. And so far, so good. They'd won their first two under the dome. One with Mark DeSantos as head coach and one under interim head coach Vanny Sartini. Tonight, a chance for a third straight against last-placed Austin FC, who are an expansion team in MLS, but still pretty good. Young Thomas Assal starting at goalkeeper with Max Cripot on national team duty. Whitecaps very loose defensively in the opening half. Sebastian Drusi with all sorts of time and space, just puts it across goal. Caps fortunate that didn't go in. But late in the half, Austin FC do find the mark. It's Driussi who heads it in. That was too easy. 1-0 at the half, fully deserved. Whitecaps looked flat. Got to crank it up in the second half, and they did do that. Started to bring the offense, and they got rewarded when Christian Dahomey found... Eric Godoy in the box powers the header in for the uh, goal, just his second ever for the Argentine defender. But moments later, Austin with a great chance to regain the lead, but Hassal coming up with a kick save and a beauty. It remains 1-1. And then Diber Caicedo is sprung down the uh, right side, chips it over the keeper. Splendid play by Austin FC to uh, save it. Gauld will tee it up for Dahomey, but sails it over the crossbar. Still 1-1. But the caps keep coming, and this time Gauld is stopped, but Caicedo has an open net, taps it in. White caps with the relentless attack. Vanny Sartini celebrates 2-1 Whitecaps win, fourth straight victory, their MLS unbeaten streak at 10, and the Caps move into a playoff position, seventh place after another comeback victory on home turf. When you push, 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 having the fans behind you that uh, they're going to cheer you, they're going to root for you, and they're going to, let's say, uh, really, really, really give you I would say that, that extra energy, that extra push to press more, that extra push to to really win the 1v1 every fight. So it's on us. We need to great to do great performance. But uh, the help of the fan is going to be, has been fantastic so far. And it's also going to be, uh, I would say, fundamental in the for the rest of the games. All right, U.S. Open women's third round, Bianca Andrescu taking on Belgium's Greet Minnen, who Vancouver's Rebecca Marino actually beat in qualifying last week, but Minnen got in the main draw after players pulled out with injury, made it all the way to the third round, but Andrescu made sure that Minnen's U.S. Open ended today. Gets the return to break, can go up 3-1, and then another forehand winner. First set to Bianca, 6-1 in just 24 minutes. More domination in the second, again, pulverizes that weak second serve to break in the first game of the set. And then from the baseline, Bianca will unload the backhand winner to go up four games to love. She reeled off 
Nine straight games in the match. Bianca was spectacularly efficient today. Check out the running backhand pass winner. Great defense to stay alive, and then she does that. Never lost in the U.S. Open main draw. 10-0 record as she cruises past Greetman in 6-1-6-2. She'll meet Greece's Mari Sakkari in the fourth round on Monday. And number one, Ash Barty just lost, so that's also good news for Bianca. Dennis Shapovalov trying to become the fourth Canadian into the round of 16, taking on South African Lloyd Harris. First set on serve at 3-all until Harris chases down the Shapovalov drop shot and then fires the winner. Harris got the break and he would take that first set six games to four. Second set though, Dennis gets his first break of the match. Huge one-handed backhand that is uh, too much for Harris to handle right there. And Chapo goes up two love in the second, but he could not keep it going. Harris broke back and then at four all, Shapovalov just too many errors, was not himself today. Uh, Harris Goes on to win the second set, 6-4 as well. In the third set, Harris got another break and then serves it out. And Denis Shapovalov is out, 6-4, 6-4. He loses to the South African Lloyd Harris. Well, you don't see this often, but the Montreal Canadiens are not going to match the offer the Carolina Hurricanes made to restricted free agent forward Jesperi Kotkaniemi, a one-year deal worth $6.1 million. So the Habs will now get Carolina's first and third round picks in the 2022 draft as compensation. The offer was seen by many as revenge for the offer sheet that the Habs made a couple of years ago to Sebastian Ajo. Carolina matched that deal, which was for $42 million over five years. Now, the Canes offer to Kotkaniemi was about twice what many thought the young Finn is worth, and they knew the Habs couldn't match it or really foul up their salary cap situation. For the most part, NHL general managers have an unwritten rule where they don't make offer sheets to restricted free agents, knowing that another team could really put them in a tough spot concerning their salary cap. So that's why the revenge factor with the Canes. And no, it takes a long time to explain it, does it? Jays and A's, Toronto coming off that stirring comeback last night when they scored sixth in the eighth and then three in the ninth to win 11-10. Kept the momentum going today. Bottom of the order coming through. Bravik Valera with a rare start. Hits his first homer of the year to make it to 4-0. A's cut it to 4-3, but then Teoscar Hernandez launches a three-run shot in the seventh to make it 7-3. In the eighth, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. up with the bases loaded. Now, he hit a grand slam in that epic comeback yesterday. Almost as good. Clears the bases with a 3-1 run double. Jays led 10-3, and they needed all of it as the A's got five in the ninth. But the Jays hang on 10-8, their third straight win, and sixth in their last seven. They're five back in the wild card now with 28 to play. Third round of the Tour Championship from Atlanta. Final FedEx Cup playoff tournament. Corey Connors, the only Canadian in the field of 30, sinks the birdie here. But Corey hasn't got it going this week. He'll still make a nice paycheck tomorrow, but he's well back at minus two, tied 22nd. Patrick Cantley has not cooled off since that amazing putting display last week when he outdueled Bryson DeChambeau in a six-hole playoff to win the BMW Championship. Sinks the long one here to get to 20 under. Three shots up on John Rahm. The big Spaniard trying to stay within striking distance does just that. Long birdie at 13. Cantley did make a couple of bogeys, so the lead was down to just one playing 18. But on 18, Cantley with another clutch putt. 23-footer for birdie. Very delicate, but it's perfect. 
Got a two-shot lead over Rahm at 20 under. Justin Thomas is five back, but it's basically between Cantley and Rahm for the $15 million first prize tomorrow. And we uh, featured SFU football saying it could be a rough day in Idaho, and it was as they fall 68-0 to the Div 1 Idaho Vandals. But uh, SFU happy to get back on the football field, and they will... Uh, play their home debut at their uh, new stadium at SFU in a couple weeks' time. That's it for sports. All right. Thanks so much, Barry. And coming up, a new festival to celebrate Vancouver's Chinatown is coming up. How the community is preparing to welcome visitors back next. Chinatowns around the world were hit hard during the pandemic, and Vancouver is no different. As struggling merchants await the return of international tourists, the Business Improvement Society is partnering with a local charity to light up the streets in an effort to welcome visitors back. Kristen Robinson has the story. This one is uh, fertilizer. Okay. After more than 40 years serving Chinatown, Bamboo Village knows how to grow on what its customers want. In order to make us survive, we need to change ourselves. The family-owned business known for its museum-worthy collectibles, looking more like a perennial palace as the demand for plants and flower pots picked up during the pandemic. We've been seeing the changes in Chinatown, like uh, from a golden age and then all the way going down. After a tough year and a half, a grassroots effort is underway to help bring Chinatown back. During COVID and the rise of anti-Asian racism, so the neighborhood is sort of, I think, needed a little bit of loving care. Volunteers washing windows, cleaning sidewalks, and collecting trash. This is one block of garbage. A week ahead of Light Up Chinatown, a lantern festival aimed at kickstarting the neighborhood. For many of the merchants and many of the people that live and work here in Chinatown, it's a symbol that others do care. All these lanterns are so pretty. In New York City, light up Chinatown brightened up Mott Street last winter. It could like tra uh, transcend into other cities. That's kind of what I had in mind when I started this project. Patrick Mock got the idea at the height of COVID when the streets were empty and his bakery was one of the only shops open. The lanterns drew customers in and more are being added. It also became a symbol of hope for the neighborhood to find the light at the end of this tunnel during tough times. In a sign of the times, Vancouver volunteers spotted a man breaking out the decorations early. Police seized this ornamental sign and arrested him on a Canada-wide warrant. By lighting things up, the business community hopes to attract new visitors. Hopefully, it will bring up some like uh, sparkles to bring people coming back to Chinatown. I always hope that like, tomorrow would be better. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Looks like they're off to a great start. It's a, a bit of a ways away, but what are we looking at weather-wise for <laughs> that It's going to be a dry start into next week for back to school, and hopefully that'll lead in towards the weekend for that event. Uh, rain this evening, a few isolated showers into the morning and early afternoon for tomorrow. Stay dry. Fingers crossed, everybody. Stay dry out there. Thanks so much for joining us. Jordan Armstrong will be here for 11.